And it's just, it's just a blessing to be able to stand up here and, uh, and you know, speak in front of this congregation. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm just warning, be careful. I, I like, have like marshmallow stuck on the bottom of my foot and I kind of stepped in all this stuff. So if I like slept on the wood and do a split, it's not intentional. <laughs> Get help, please. I, it's, it, w- it wouldn't be intentional. But uh, uh, so... I, I wanted to just talk a little bit uh, about, like, freedom today. You know, I, I, it's so good to be free, you know. Uh, I feel like I've really been living in a lot of freedom. Uh, unfortunately, only about two years now, and I've been a believer for quite a while, you know. Uh, I think uh, it's easy to assume that, you know, you, you, you become a believer or whatnot, and, you know, everything, then, then you're totally free. You know, and I, I, that wasn't the case for me, and I don't think it's the case for a lot of people, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I was, I, I've given my testimony in front of this church before, and uh, I, you know, really struggled a lot, even as a believer. Uh, you know, I, did, I, I wasn't free, and uh, I, I dealt with a lot of wrong views about God and, uh, you know, struggled in a lot of areas and couldn't really find much breakthrough and uh, and, and it's, it's funny because I used to always like, you know, sometimes you like quote scripture, like formulaic, you know, uh, the, the, the truth sets you free. The truth sets you free. This is the truth that sets you free. The, you know, the Bible doesn't say that. It says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that was the case for me. I had it all right in front of me, but I didn't know it. I, I, I hadn't been personalized. And, uh, you know, until recently, uh, when I kind of became woke, to use a 21st century term, uh, so also, you see on the pamphlet there, John 11.11, I know uh, uh, Nicole preached a message recently about 11.11, and God's been showing me this over and over and over and over and over and over, 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 over again. I almost came up here at 11.11, I just missed it by like a minute, but... It would have been really good. It would have been awesome. But, but, but you know, I mean, the, the, the truth is, is again, until we know these things, until we know whose we are, then we can know who we are, and then we can actually step out. There, almost went. Uh, then we can actually step out into this and actually start walking this thing out. Because other than that, like, you can, you know, a lot of this stuff just with, with we can make it into religion, which religion dangles a carrot in front of you, and you seek it, and you seek it, and you seek it, and you seek it, and seek it. Jesus said, you seek and you will find. There's, there's, a, there's a conclusion to this thing. There's an ownership that we take when we, we, we no longer, we, we, we don't live towards, we live out of, because we're already there, okay? We already possess, we already uh, inherited, and we live out of our inheritance instead of to, towards an inheritance. And that's what I hope to talk about today. I chose this scripture not only because it's 11:11, but it sends our friend Lazarus, excuse me, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. And uh, I hope that uh, some of the stuff that I'll be sharing today can minister to you, because you know we, you know we can be raised in the power of his resurrection and still be in blindfold mode and not see. And uh, we can we can actually Zach, if we can put up there, uh, start at John 11. 41 through 44. And so I want to just, uh, this is, uh, I, I kind of really been in the Gospel of John for quite a while lately. Uh, and I, I just love this book. You know, John, uh, again, is what, the last Gospel writer. And I feel out of the other Gospels, he has the clearest picture. You know, he wrote this very late in his life. It's almost at the turn of the, the century uh, that he, he wrote his Gospel. And it's just one of the most clear uh, pictures. This is the revelator, you know, the one who uh, ha- wrote the amazing apocalypse. Uh, so anyways, it says, then they took away, this is uh, Lazarus. Remember, Jesus, go, uh, he's going to wake him up. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they, that they may believe that you sent me. Uh, just stopping real quick, uh, there, there, there's a lot of times in the Bible where Jesus says things out loud, and we really need to listen 
he's speaking for those around him, why he's, he's saying certain things, but that's another time. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound, hand and foot with grave cloths, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. So we see in this story here that Lazarus has been raised from the dead. And I think uh, for a while I was, again, you know, the, the, the truth doesn't cease to be the truth because you believe it or not. It's always going to remain the truth. And you can, you know, either walk in it or, or, or not. It doesn't cease to be truth. But I was raised in the power of Christ's resurrection. And all of these things were true, yet I still had a blindfold over my eyes. And I was still bound up. And I couldn't move around freely. And the liberty that I was supposed to walk in uh, was, was, was not evident in my life. It wasn't present. And uh, I think that we can easily stop here and get all of the things that Jesus says in Peter that he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We have everything. It is finished. This is no longer a belief system of do, do, do. It is done, done, done. And when we realize that it's done, we do more than we ever would have done before out of religious striving, and there'll be a lot more fruit. You know, one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. Jesus said, that's the will of God, that you bear much fruit. We're supposed to be happy. You know, we're supposed to live in peace. We're supposed to uh, do these things. And uh, there's a place that I believe that Jesus is calling us to, a feast, where the fatted calf has been slain, and we can just live full and out of our inheritance, and at the table where everything has already been prepared for us. So, I, we, so we, we see this uh, here where Lazarus has come out of the grave, and he's still uh, bound up. Actually, the, it's kind of interesting. Greg mentioned about the talents. You know where the, the uh, word grave cloth, I, I can't remember what the exact word is, but it's actually uh, the same translation of the talents that were wrapped in a napkin. Same uh, translation, same word you used for that. Uh, thanks for reminding me of that, Greg. That's, that sounds good. But uh, that's actually, again, we have the talents. You know, we, we, we have the talents already. And in a lot of cases, we don't see them. And we're waiting for, to get them transactionally when we already have them. And God is asking us to walk for those. And we keep those in our pocket, buried in a grave cloth, because really we can't see them. And we're, we're trying to, again, uh, to get them transactionally. Uh, so I'm going to go into uh, Luke. Uh, I think it's 11 we can start at. Luke chapter 11. And I want to uh, talk about the parable of the prodigal. This is one of my favorite ones, if not my, uh, the favorite parable. And uh, just to, uh, to speak a little bit before I get into this, I've seen this differently than I've ever seen it before. Uh, recently, and uh, you know, I, I, a lot of times these these titles just get added by translators, and so in a lot of cases, this parable we make it about the the two sons. Uh, it's the prodigal son, so it's about one son that did something right, and the other something that, son that's doing something wrong. But this is really about the father. This this is this parable is really about the father and what he does and what he's done. And so we're just going to look a, a little bit at uh, Luke. Sorry, Zach, I'm not sure I gave you this one. Uh, uh, Luke 15, 11. 15, 11. Is this, uh, is this right? Yeah. Um, well, I guess I'll just start reading. Okay. Uh, 1511, it says, then he, and, and this is the father, or uh, this is Jesus telling the parable. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that, that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all... But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. 
But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and, and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and he will say to him, Father, I have sinned, and, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Okay, uh, so, and he arose and came to his father, and when he was still a great way off. Uh, you know, I think I, I, I used to always look at this parable a little bit uh, in terms of repentance, my view of repentance, uh, my own view. And I actually had shared this a few months back, uh, what, where the word repentance actually comes from. Uh, the uh, Greek translation is hamartia, which is, uh, basically means without form, okay? Uh, with, uh, or well, Sin is without form, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, where am I? Sorry. Oh, well, repentance, metanoia. I'm sorry, I had the wrong word. Uh, metanoia, which uh, it means to know together with, all right, to know from a place of union, to see things the way God sees things. You know, uh, Bill Johnson shared it, to go to repentance, to go to the penthouse, the high place, and to see things the way God sees them. And that is actually the true word of repentance because right thinking leads to right action. Paul said, awake to righteousness and sin not. Okay, and not the other way around. Not oh, stop sinning and you become righteous, you know, out of your own actions. He says, awake to righteousness and sin not. And that is uh, actual metanoia, repentance. So I used to look at this that, uh, you know, the, the son, when, that he came to himself, that he, that he repents. But I would say this is a pretty low level of repentance where he's first at. Because he's not really, to me, seeming all that repentant. He, uh, look where he says, he says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. He's, he's, concern, he's concerned about himself. You know, it's a, it's a selfish desire. Uh, he's, not, he's not moved uh, to anything he did wrong or anything. He's, I'm hungry. I, I want to eat. You know? So <laughs> I wouldn't say he's all that repentant there. But it said that while he was a far way off, the father saw him and ran towards him. And God will meet us in our darkness. I think I, I, I you know, I, I, hearing testimonies over the years, uh, Rifle probably wouldn't mind me sharing that, you know, he, at first he wanted, he, what, you, you didn't want to go to hell, right? With one of those things. For me, it was like my life stunk, so I wanted, uh, you know, I wanted better, a better life, uh, a pretty wife, uh, you know, whatever. Whatever, whatever darkness you're in. Honestly, I'm, I'm just going to uh, be a little raw for a second, but I mean, I think sometimes we, we, we think that it's about our, our repentance, where the Father is always pursuing us and just waiting us to turn. So then he goes into a, 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 a part where I think a lot of people get trapped in, turn of, in terms of repentance. So uh, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I will perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son Make me like one of your hired servants. So I think right now, if you look at what he's saying, now he's almost now at the same level that the older brother is. You know, wanting to work for his inheritance when it's already his. He already has it, but he wants to work for it. I'll become like one of your hired servants in your house. And I think sometimes that I know for me, I got stuck in that transaction for so long. Uh, not living out of my sonship, but living on the outside trying to attain something that, I, that was already mine and uh, trying to do it transactionally. And again, God meets us in those places. And he did for years of my life, uh, met me in that place. But eventually, all of a sudden, the, the, that, that transactional piece wasn't really working anymore. And then uh, eventually, though, God shows me, sh showed me a higher way. And so this is when I actually think in the parable that true repentance actually comes. When he arose and came to his father, or I'm sorry, and he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. He's getting ready to finish the rest of what he rehearsed to get back in his father's good grace. But the father cut him off. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet 
and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they, then they began to be merry. And I would say that that's where he actually repents. He says, you know what? Servanthood's not going to fly in my father's house. I'm a son. I, I'll, I'll accept the robe of righteousness, the ring of authority, the, the, and, and I'm going to go to the party, party time. You know, that's when I said he's repenting, okay? Because he's, he's, he's no longer identifying with his own works and his own obedience and his own self. He's repenting and seeing the way God sees him from, from, uh, from above, a son fully clothed in the father's righteousness, the robe of righteousness, the ring of authority. And I, I would say that is what Jesus was talking about when he said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. He's not talking about an ascetic lifestyle where you, you try to kill off your humanity. He's saying, engage your mind with a deeper level and you've been co-crucified with me. Your old man is dead and you've been raised up anew. So we see him enjoying the party. And, you know, and, and, and again, I think we've kind of pitted these two sons against each other, you know, and, and said that, well, the one son repented and the other didn't. And this is, this, is, this is all in the father's, this is all under the father's watch. This is all in the father's house. And I'm not going to get into that because, I mean, there's so much more in this parable. But I will say that even, you know, when we, we talk about the older brother who lived in the house without an inheritance, striving, Pharisee, whatever we call him, you know, the father is still standing outside beckoning him to come into the party, and that's the way the parable ends. The father didn't write him off. He's standing outside beckoning him to come into the party. You know, C.S. Lewis said, joy is the serious business of heaven. This, God's serious about the party. You know, and you see, you see this in a lot of parables that he's, you know, the, the, uh, he's, all of the guests that he's inviting, and, you know, he, he's very serious about this. And he, he, he wants us to live in this. Remember, this is the will of God that you bear much fruit. And, you know, one of the fruits is definitely joy among all the other things, but he wants us to live in a place of rest. You know, I talked with Rifle before the service. This is what Hebrews 4 is all about. Actually, the Passion Translation keeps on saying faith rest. Faith rest, okay? And we've, I might get into faith today a little bit, but I think we've had faith in our faith too much. You know, we've had, we, we've, do you ever do that? I remember praying for people and be, do I believe? Oh my God, do I believe? Do I believe? Do I believe? Oh my, do I have enough faith? Is something going to happen? But it, it, like, what, what must I do to do the works of God? Believe on him who I've sent. Let his faith carry you. Okay. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. In the life I now live, I live by the faith of the son of God. That's the correct translation of that. Most translations use that. Uh, some of them use uh, that I, uh, uh, I live by the faith in the Son of God, but it's actually a poor translation of that verse. He's living by Christ's faith, the author and finisher. Okay, not, I think, you know, the word of faith movement is awesome, but sometimes it turns us into uh, do I, having faith in your faith, you know, and not believing on him and allowing uh, Jesus' faith to carry you. So, you know, we see the, the, the son, I feel, repenting when he goes in and no longer by his own righteousness, but he's enjoying the righteousness that uh, was prepared for him. So let's uh, go back to John. Uh, John 12, 1, 2. Let's tell you what happened to Lazarus after the, the grave cloths were removed and he could now see. You know, by the way, just, uh, uh, you know, we talk a lot about heaven in terms of you know, we, we, we don't need to wait till we get to heaven to experience heaven. I would say the other uh, pose is true too as well. We don't have to wait, get to hell to live in hell and to live in a Hades. The word Hades actually means not seeing. Paradise, paradise, to see from a place of union. Again, that, that, that uh, perspective of God, to live in union and see things the way he does. Hades, Hades, ha is negative, days is to see. It's to be blind. And we can live in this blindfold mode from everything that's been prepared for us on this earth. You know, as, as a believer, raised in the power of his resurrection, we can still live in this blindness and not, I mean, it says that we were, set, we were for freedom we were set free. You know, the, the, and you will know the truth and you'll set us free. 
That's, that's what uh, has been prepared for us. So we look at Lazarus again. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. So this is the next scene we have of Lazarus after he's been raised. The grave cloths are taken off. Now he's at the, the table. He's at the place where he should be. He's at the party. He's at the feast, the fatted calf. He's living off the bread of life, you know? And, this is, and, and so uh, I titled this message that uh, are at the top, at his table. You know that song, this is how I fight my battles, at his table. <laughs> Joy fair, you know? <laughs> You know, we can, we can go around and uh, behind every bush, we'll find a devil if we go looking for one, you know. We can just live from a place of joy and, uh, and overcome these things. And, and I'm not saying that crazy stuff doesn't happen. This has probably been the most challenging year I've had teaching. I, I teach, uh, I'm a high school teacher. The most challenging year I've had teaching in probably a decade. And, but it's just a different perspective, you know. I'm not blind anymore. I see. I see in light. So, I, I, so... What is it like to be at the table? You know, I, uh, I think that what we can start to see is a lot of these things, and I just really chose a lot of subjects that I used to struggle with so much personally in my Christian walk that uh, would really drag me down in a lot of areas, not bring me joy, not bring me peace. And so I, I kind of just was thinking about, man, what it would, to just be at his table and all of these things that have been prepared for us, what are some of these things that we don't have to live towards anymore, that have already been done, and we can just, jo- it, it, we can just feed our faces and live out of those, that place. So one of the first things I want to talk about is the covenant. You know, I think I used to always think that, okay, Jesus sent, or God sent Jesus, uh, who is separate from the Father, and he's kind of this middleman who makes a covenant with us, and then we go through him, and then he goes to the Father, and there's all this separation, and there's all this responsibility on us to hold that covenant together. But I want to point out something here. So if uh, we can go to Isaiah 42, 6. This has been one of the most freeing things that I have uh, uh, come across. And this actually says it in Isaiah a couple times. So this, I'll point out two times it says it. It says, I, the Lord, have called you, and, and you, capital Y. He's talking about the Messiah, about Jesus. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people as a light to the Gentiles. If we can go real quickly to 49.8, uh, not, not many chapters after. Thus says the Lord, in an acceptable time I have heard you, again, capital Y, talking about the Messiah, the suffering servant is taking form in this part of Isaiah now, that they realize that this whole covenant, this is going to be word made flesh, that it's going to be written on the inside of people's hearts incarnationally through the word made flesh, the Son of God who is the word. Uh, and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to the restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages. Okay, so he's saying that Jesus is the covenant. Okay, and uh, Rifles talked about this a lot, how God made a covenant with himself. So this is, this is a big deal. I mean, uh, th- that we get to live out of a covenant that's already been responded to, that's already been mediated and worked out. We get to live out of a covenant that's been handled. So how has it been handled? I'm, I'm, going, I'm, I'm going through a lot of scriptures because this is uh, some really good stuff. This is really important. Uh, can we go to Hebrews 3, 1 through 2? So it says, uh, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. So we see, we see something taking place here. And this is what Hebrews, a lot of this is about. It's about covenant. It's about, uh, you know, referring to uh, mediation of the covenant. And it uses a lot of uh, kind of Old Testament sacrificial terms and atonement and all of these things. But it's saying that con- consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. So we actually see two sides of the covenant here. Remember, Jesus in the incarnation. Paul said, I I determined to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. 
You can't separate the person of God from the work. Okay? We, we, we can't separate, like, who was Jesus? Who was this Christ that actually came and went to the cross for us? He's fully God, and he's fully man. Remember, he is the covenant. So it says that he's considered the apostle. Well, who, who sent apostles? Who did, who, who did apostles represent? God. Okay, so the apostles were sent to represent Jesus, to represent God. And high priest of our confession. Who did the high priest mediate for? The people. So here we see the covenant being fulfilled within the person of Jesus. He is the covenant. Okay? So when we often look at Jesus came delivering the word to humanity from God, and that's absolutely true, but he's also the one true Israelite in his humanity who's also responding perfectly to the word of God. By his obedience, the many were made righteous. Okay, that's what it says in uh, uh, Romans 5.19, for as what, by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, one man, the man Christ Jesus, many will be made righteous. So this is, this is awesome. We get to participate in his perfect fellowship and communion with the Father. This is really good. I, mean, I, what, what we, I used to think it was all based on me and all of this weight and condemnation when I fell uh, in, in, into guilt. Jesus is the one true Israelite. That's what the Old Testament is all about. All of these remnants being, okay, no, it's not, it's not Esau, it's Jacob, it's not this person, and it's not Judah, it's Israel. All the way until you get this one person, the one true Israelite. Who, who comes out of Egypt, out of Egypt I have called my son, who goes through the Jordan being baptized, who goes into the desert to, uh, to uh, be tempted by the devil, and then he comes back in Matthew and he delivers the law. This is, this is, we, we get to participate in his perfect fellowship. You know, I used to try to achieve this with, with God on my own. It's better than having our own personal relationship with God. He said, Jesus came to the best religionist of his day. He said, none of you know God. None of you know God. And he said, except the son and who the son reveals him to. So we get to participate in a perfect relationship that Jesus has with the father. I had, this happened to me the other day. I, I used to tell it from another person's point of view, but it actually happened to me the other day to just bring this down to earth. Uh, and uh, like Greg said, man, it's, everything is sacred. Playing with kids is really sacred. <laughs> and, and so I was at my house, and I was, uh, uh, I, I, my, my, my wife watches a, neighbor, a neighborhood uh, child. That's my son Ezra's age. And so uh, I was kind of just came home from school, and I, I'm sitting there, and I knew it was going to happen as soon as I lay down, at least from Ezra. And I lay down on the ground and went to shut my eyes for a second and before I got like a knee drop right to a place that hurts. But all of a sudden, my son Ezra jumps on top of me, and he's laughing, and he's playing. And, I, and, and all, this sacred moment, that's Holy Spirit. You know what I mean? We, we've made this so religious. Instead of just living out of humanity and living with humanity and, sh and sharing things with people and sharing life and shedding tears with people and encouraging people. This is Holy Spirit. This is the glory. <sighs> so I'm laying on the floor in a lot of pain, but also a lot of joy because he's having a great time. And we're rolling around and we're laughing. And, 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 and all of a sudden, this, this new neighbor, I, I've been in Goochland for two months. Uh, that's where I live now. It's a wonderful place. Love it. Anyways. Uh, just laying there, and I'm laying on the ground, and all of a sudden, this, this neighborhood kid, who I don't even know, jumps on top of me, and he's playing around with me, you know, and he never did that before. I, I, been, I mean, even though my wife's been watching him almost every day, our interactions are, hey, how you doing? And I say something to him, and he runs away and doesn't say anything, and that's what it's been like, but then he sees my son's perfect relationship with me, and he sees that we share something, my, my begotten son that uh, he knows my nature. He knows I'm not going to get upset with him when he jumps on top of me. He knows that I'm a joy to be around. He knows my nature. And now his friend, because of that, gets to participate in that perfect commun communion. So this is what we have, and this is the glory. This is the glory. Oh, let's, do we need some scripture? Let's get scripture. All right. 
Let's do this. All right. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to jump. Uh, this actually, we talk about this, <laughs> the glory. You know, it's, 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 it's in a meeting. It's, uh, you know, we got to go to a Heidi Baker meeting. And, and I, I love all these people. I listen to all these people. But we got to go halfway around the world to see the glory. And maybe the glory will drop. The glory's over here. The glory's over there. No, it's right here. We have this. Okay, so if we go to uh, John 17, 22. Okay, and I'm going to share 22 and then 24. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, 17 and then uh, 22. And so here's Jesus in this uh, John 17, his great priestly prayer, which is just phenomenal. And he says, in the glory, oh, uh, uh, sorry, I don't know if I, I told this, but anyways, John 17, in the glory which you, God, gave me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I have given them, done, not do, not try to jump into union. That's Babel. That's the Tower of Babel, trying to climb up to heaven. The word became flesh. He became Emmanuel, God with us. And he invites us into that communion with the Father. How do we pray, Jesus? I, 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 no, our Father. He invites us into his communion with the Father, and we get to participate in it. Father, and this is, so that he's already given the glory. And now look what he says here in 22. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am in paradise, seeing from a place of union, I would say, that they may behold my glory, that they can see. Like uh, Jesus said in John 14, I can't think of the verse, in that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. In that day you'll open your eyes, and you won't be blind anymore, and you'll see this union that you don't have to climb into anymore, that you don't have to strive building a Tower of Babel to accomplish something that Jesus already crossed this bridge and it swept us into his bosom. And we can live in that place of union, and we can just live. We can just be. We're not human doers. We're human beings. He just wants us to be. And, and these things all, when we start seeing him as in a mirror, which is kind of weird because the world tells us that we find our deepest truth in ourself, and that actually is where our deepest truth is, but we have to actually see Jesus as in a mirror because he's our epiphany. He's the image that we were created in. And so we start to see him. But despite all contradiction in our life, we start to see him as in a mirror, and then we see that he came to show us who we are and that he lives on the inside of us. So it's kind of a weird thing. You look outside to actually see what's really on the inside because the world says, no, look on the inside. Find your true self or, you know, whatever. I don't know. Whatever that is. Something like that. Okay, so, uh, so he, it says here that he's, he's already given us the glory. Remember, uh, it says... Um, that we, we, we beheld his glory, uh, it says in John 1. We beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. The glory is that relationship. And he said, I have given him my glory. Uh, that we may be one, even as we, uh, I and the Father are one. And so what, didn't it say that the one day the glory was going to go over all the earth? One day there would one, and the sweet by and by, the glory will cover the earth. Well, let's look at that. Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's already here. For the whole creation groans and travails, waiting for the sons of God, the manifestation of the sons of God, sons and daughters to open their eyes and realize what, we pa- what we're packing, that he's filled all in all. That we have the fullness of deity living inside of us. The, one day, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. It's an awakening. My, my friend Lazarus, he's just sleeping. I go to wake him up. Okay? And to open his eyes and to see uh, what, what's already there. Okay? Uh, so there's a, 
I'll, I can maybe get through one more of these. What do you want to talk about here? The, the faith of God? The flesh? I mean, what do you want to do? All right. Let's go after the flesh because I'm sick of this one. I'm sick of this one not being taken care of. <sighs> this is at the table too, by the way. So we have, uh, well, we, I, I mean, I, 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 for lack of a time, I'll, I'll, maybe if you can get these up here, that's, that, if not, that's fine. But this is, used to be something that I used to really struggle with, okay? Again, this inward introspection, sin consciousness instead of Christ consciousness, and looking inside, uh, there's, this, there's this battle going inside of me, and, the, you know, and, and my, my flesh and my spirit, I have both, I'm, a, I'm a schizophrenic person, and I'm battling all these sins, and I'm going to get to these verses that uh, we, we got to look at at a different light. But, I mean, just uh, I, for the, the Passion Translation, Galatians 2.20, I like this translation of it. Uh, and I'm just going to look at it real quick. He says, my old identity has been co-crucified. Past tense. My old identity has been co-crucified with Messiah and no longer lives. For the nails of his cross crucified me with him. This is denying yourself. Take up your cross. We don't have an individual cross. Jesus died on, not, he died on humanity's cross. So to deny yourself is to deny your own righteousness, to deny your own pursuit into these things. Take up his cross. Identify with his death that he assumed. Gregory Nazianzen, one of the church fathers, he said, the unassumed is the unredeemed. The unassumed is the unredeemed. Jesus stepped into a fallen humanity without sin and he saw what we saw and he redeemed it all in, in his life of obedience and uh that is engaging with what the new creation is all about uh peter said we've been born anew by the resurrection of the dead you know coming out of the grave anew he took everything that was of adam and into the grave born of a woman born of a virgin and he comes out of the virgin womb, assuming sinful humanity, nails it to the cross, and then he's raised up out of the virgin tomb, a tomb where no man's been laid before, and starts a new race, the last Adam. So, uh, so anyways, uh, it says, I bet, uh, the same nails, where am I here? The same nails that cru- uh, crucified me with him, and now the essence of this new life is no longer mine for the anointed one lives his life through me. I'm not going to get to the rest of that. It says in Romans 6.6, 6, knowing this, that again, the truth doesn't set you free. Knowing the truth will set you free. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Again, past tense, our old man is gone. Okay, we keep on, I think in a lot of cases, not... Not in this house, but in a lot of cases, he, the, the, a defeated enemy is preached over and over and over again, and it's the same message that the serpent taught Adam. Eat this and you'll become like God. We're, we're made in the image of God. They, they, were, they were eating something that they already had to try to see something that they already had. And it's the same thing that we hear, that can hear over and over again, that we still are working towards something. And the, the flesh has been taken care of. So I'll, I, there's one verse that's, that's a little tricky, but we got to look at this under new light. So if we look at, uh, uh, where is it? Okay. Uh, let's look at Galatians 5, 16 through 18. Galatians 5, 16 through 18. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. Key part right here. These are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. If we go a little bit uh, later to verse, well, let me me just stay right here. So uh, 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 this is what a lot of it is used to justify this, that there's like this, these two natures inside of us that we're trying to fight against. Uh, now, it, it, so, it seems like it says like that, but it actually says, and these two are contrary to one another. It's like trying to put like a, a magnet that has two opposite whatever. I hate science. I don't know anything about it. 
But when you put like a magnet together and it repels each other, that's what's going on here with the flesh and the spirit. Walk in the spirit and it repels this. Okay, you can't walk in both at the same time. There's actually only one way to walk in schizophrenia with both of these things. And uh, Paul, uh, Paul actually covers it in Romans 7, 1, that we always quote the Romans 7 man, but I'm going after this today because it's really tripped a lot of people up. It says, or do you not know, brethren? And then he says in parentheses, for I speak to those who know the law. He's, 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 he's sharing his experience under the law. And he's saying that, like, when, when you try to create law in your life, this is what happens. You, be, you, you Again, it's like Jesus said, be, uh, be careful of the leaven of Herod, but be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees. He said two leavens. There's only one leaven, and that's the bread of life, okay? Again, at his table, feasting off of the fatted calf. But he says uh, that it, what happens when we go to the Pharisees' leaven and we eat of that, and we make these rules. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. Don't do this. Do that. You fall short. You fall short. Uh, okay, now I'm praying an hour more. I'm going to fast an hour more, a day more, whatever. And we make up more rules in our life. Okay, now I'm going to get it this time. Recommit myself. I'm all set to go. More leaven of the Pharisees. And that one eventually happens with that. I can't do this, God. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm a sinful person, whatever, and then you just forget it, and you swing to the leaven of Her, or, uh, Herod. I'll just do whatever I want. I can't defeat this anyways, but, you know, whatever. Until that doesn't work, and then what do we do? Leaven of the Pharisees. Now I'm really going to get this right this time and do this in my own righteousness. And it, it, just keep on missing the bread of life. We, we, we... We gotta, we gotta live out of him. We're in union with him. He is our epiphany. He is our awakening. And this is what, this, that, that's what like happens over and over again. But that, that is the schizophrenic Christian. The one f- still feels that they're under law and making law in their life and under, uh, and they haven't been set free from that. You've been, you've been, you've been co-crucified with him. The old man is dead. All, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And walking in that you know, uh, again, abiding, abide in me, and I in you. It's, it's an effortless drinking from the vine, enjoying him, enjoying him. You know, I, I, again, uh, law, you, you, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You know, Jesus gave about five different answers to how you achieve salvation. Did you ever think about that? He, say, he says about four or five different things in the Gospels. He's trying to p- bring people who are under law to no longer trust in their, themselves in the law. And so he says all of these different things. And he, one, that one used to get me. Because I would, some, on some days when everything was going good, man, I love the Lord with all my heart, soul, and mind. This is wonderful. Love this. And everything's great. And then all of a sudden, the next day, oh, man, law. Maybe I don't really love God. Look at that person over there worshiping. Man, they're so free. They're so filled. Law, law, law. Smaller, smaller, smaller. You know what the New Testament says? Herein is the love of God, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and gave himself for us. Drink that in. Look, it says in uh, uh, Solomon. uh, Okay, I say then, or I'm sorry, where is it? Promise me, brides to be by the gentle gazelles and delicate deer, that you'll not disturb my love until she is ready to arise. Drink in God's love, right? Only uh, love, only love from a God, or uh, only God can love us unconditionally, and that is the only type of love that will change our behavior. Only a love that's not dependent on our behavior can change our behavior. Yeah. So it says to drink this in and drink His love in, and the more we do this, it becomes this effortless relationship out of union from drinking from the vine, and we get to just enjoy His love. And walk in freedom, and then all of a sudden, you're repenting, right? Metanoia in your head, you're seeing things the way he sees this, in union with him. Uh, made righteous by Christ in his life of obedience. And all of a sudden, you start the, the behavior, the, the, the things that you're struggling with, you start to walk it out, right? Awake to righteousness and sin not. Uh, okay, is there anything else with that? 
Yeah, and, and I, I just look at this here. I just want to share this last verse, and I'll, I'll leave you with this, because I think that some of us are still here, and I, I, I feel like it's important to say about the, like Jesus or uh, God pursuing us, uh, stirring up love in us, and to just drink it in at first. This conversation, if we can put up, and I'll close with this, uh, if we can uh, put up Song of Songs 1-5 in the Passion Translation, Uh, is there, is there, can we, wait, is there another one after that? Uh, like, that goes, like, longer than that, just that one? Okay, that's all good. So, uh, I'll, I'll close with this, and we, I think we see the Father's heart here again, and sometimes with the, with the way we look at ourselves, and the, if, if you haven't read this in the Passion Translation, the Song of Songs, I'd highly recommend it. I used, this used to be my least favorite book of the Bible. I didn't understand it, I didn't care to read it, I didn't know who was talking to who, uh, but when you start looking at this as a parable of, of God, the, the, the shepherd wooing his bride, you know, not the bride trying to strive, the, the, the shepherd just over and over and over again wooing. Jerusalem maidens in this twilight darkness, I am so unworthy. This is, this is the bride speaking. I am so unworthy, so in need. Please don't stare in scorn because of my dark and sinful ways. My, uh, uh, that's not right. All right. So I might have got the wrong one, but just listen to this because this is really important. Okay, so this is, this is the bride. Jerusalem, maidens, in this twilight darkness, I know I am so unworthy, so in need. Here comes the shepherd. Yet you are so lovely. Yet you are so lovely. And then she responds, I feel as dark and dry as the desert tents of the wandering nomads. Here he comes. Don't speak another word. Yet you are so lovely, like the fine linen tapestry hanging in the holy place. Linen was used to not sweat, toiling, not uh, toiling, striving. Oh, God, please, you know, striving under this. No, 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 that, that's all taking, look it, I'm, I'm, I'm wooing you. I, this, and th- this is what we need to allow to stir in us is to just drink in his deep love for us and not put ourselves under law because when you put yourself under law, you fall short. When you actually are free from law and you receive, then you start fulfilling the law. Yeah? All right, so I guess that's, uh, I, I want to, you know, I, I, we're at the table. You know, everything's been prepared for us. You know, the, like Greg said, everything is sacred. We, we, we possess all. We have all things. You know, seek, and you will find. Knock, it will be open to you. Ask, and you will receive. These things have conclusions, and we get to live out of the fullness, okay, when we're at the, when we're at the table. And it's the same thing. It's, you could go on and on and on and on with all of these topics that we've made a religious formula out of to try to attain, and we already have it. You know, the, the tabernacle in the wilderness was a tent of skin, where the meeting place between God and man, mobile. <laughs> Go in, the, in the Old Testament, carry this tent around a skin, and it's, it's where God and man meet. Well, that's what happened in Jesus. And we are one with that, and we carry the presence everywhere. It's not in a church service any more than it is when you're sitting there with your kids or, uh, or your significant other or your, uh, whatever. It's, it's, it's already there. It's waking up to this and seeing the knowledge of the glory of the Lord shall fill the earth. And this is what creation is uh, groaning for. So uh, I'm just going to uh, say a close out in prayer. And if people want to come up afterward and, you know, uh, get some prayer from people, that would be wonderful. But I'm just here to tell you, I'm here to impress you with you. You have all this stuff inside of you. You have the glory. You have the presence. You have Holy Spirit. And you need not man- that any man teach you. But, but I thought the Bible says you should have teachers. Well, look at, I think what he's referring to there is allow Holy Spirit to minister the way that is perfectly natural to you. Because you, you can't even get your own revelation. It says that the, who knows the things of God but the Spirit of God. And it, you have that Spirit. So allow the Spirit to receive the revelation and communicate it to you in a perfectly natural way. Okay, uh, you know, wh- whether that might be another brother or sister ministering to you or, uh, you know, a book or something. I mean, however, it, it doesn't always have to be over-spiritualized. He can, 
cross any darkness, and he did cross any darkness to get to us. He came and we crucified him, and he used that very act to reconcile the entire earth. I think he can speak to you in any bit of darkness that you're in and turn the light on. So, Lord, uh, I just thank you. I thank you that we possess all things, Lord. Jesus, I thank you that because of your perfect life of obedience, the many were made righteous, and that we can just abide in you, that we can drink from the vine, and we don't have to try to press in to become fruit. We just, we just open our eyes to our union with you, and fruit happens. And we just thank you for your oneness. We thank you for your relationship with the Father as of the only begotten that we get to participate out of. That it's not about us. It's I, 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 in terms of trying to earn this thing, that Jesus was the perfect human response to the Father. The one true Israelite that responded perfectly in fallen humanity so that we could live out of this. He was perfect yet, or he lived in humanity yet without sin, that he could cross this bridge, that this chasm between us and God that actually never existed. It was, we were alienated in our own minds, riot, running away, hiding in the bushes. Lord, help us to get out of the bushes. We don't belong in there. We're, we, we, don't, we don't need to be alienated in our minds. And even when we make law and rule in our life, it creates a separation that still isn't there. And that we can just enjoy intimacy with you. Jesus, you asked for the glory, or Moses asked for the glory of God to pass over him. And it said the goodness, the goodness passed over him. The, the glory of God is the goodness of God. Though Moses said, please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Lord, it's the goodness of God that leads you, us to repentance, that leads our mind to engage with another realm seated together heavenly in the high places that we can just engage with that Lord Lord I just pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation that you would just communicate this to your bride that you are not unequally yoked with your bride Lord help us to, to feast at the table to live from a place of rest to live from a place of fullness, of, of without any lack, that we can just engage each other at the table and, and, just, and just become a light to the world, living in identity and living in fullness and having our eyes open to this reality. Amen. Lord, I just, uh, or uh, if anybody needs to come up for prayer, uh, if the prayer team could come up. God bless you all. Thank you for having me.